Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to episode 23 of the podcast. I, you may have noticed, you may not have, but last week we did not have an episode. We, I, I didn't post an episode. Um, and you know, it might be like that. I will for sure every other week, but sometimes I just need to skip, you know, I'm a mom, um, and a wife and my family comes first always. So last week, it just wasn't possible. But this week, I'm excited to get to jump back into things. We will actually cover two names. I'll explain that in a little bit. I wanted to share something with you. You know, we've been doing this series to know him. I told y'all, that's what I want for the year. Like that's what I'm desiring from God. God, I want to know you more. This last, I guess, week or two weeks, I've had certain things going on in all of us do, right? We all have mess and we all have hard moments and we all have struggles and different things. And so since stuff has been going on and um, just personally, and I I really just, it just feels like life, you know, it's just life. Life just sometimes isn't always completely smooth. Well, the other day, probably uh, maybe Monday, I was reading and I, I got to this, I it's not on my reading plan. I was just kind of flipping through, you know. I read this. It's Philippians 3, chapter 3. And I'm only going to read two verses. And honestly, this is not even covering the whole thing that this this chapter is talking about. But it's not about that. You'll hear it in a minute. Um, so verse 9. This is Philippians 3, verse 9. And be found in him. So right before it, it says... Um, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Uh, Verse 11, uh, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So I'm not even scratching the surface on all that the scripture is talking about. But when I was reading it, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted as rubbish, as nothing. It's nothing to lose something for the sake of Christ. It's nothing to have something slip through your fingers or uh, or walk away, you know, any of that for the sake of, of God. And it says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. You know, when I lose these things, when, you know, things aren't the way that I maybe think they should be, when I am suffering, I'm at a loss. It's then that I can get a hold of His righteousness because mine isn't enough. It's never enough. And But that verse, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him. And when I read that, I just kind of all the different things in my in my world, in my mind that I may know him. 
all of this loss and 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 to know him and in the power of uh, his resurrection and to to share in his sufferings it's in that suffering that right now I'm able to know him more and my desire has been and we we've talked about it right like it's been to know him just to know him I just want to know him more and yeah the study is great and all but God's looking at me and saying you don't know the half of it you know um and and I feel like some different things have been put on my plate because of it and not because of it but as a tool you know Things are just life, but God can use everything in life as a tool. And so if you feel like you are suffering, if you feel like you are losing something, if you feel like you don't understand, but it's not perfect right now, just know when you suffer, when you go through these hard things, you can know Him more. That I may know Him. I go through all of this. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. That's not even what I'm talking about today, but it it came in my mind this week and moved me because that's been my desire. And and God's like, yeah, I know know you want that, but sometimes I do things my way, you know. And so we will go ahead and get into the episode. We're actually going to talk about two names today. One, because I missed last week. The really the real reason is because both of these names are a part of Abraham's story. We've been talking about Abraham for weeks, it feels like. So I wanted to go ahead and just get moving along. The first name is El Alam. The name simply means the everlasting God. Also, some uh, have it as the God of eternity. Same thing, right? Just meaning that he was God in the very beginning before the world was even made. And he is God when the world ends. He is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The name was used in our story today, Genesis 21, but actually is not used again anywhere else in the Bible as the name El Olam. The single word Olam is, however, used in several places. So the single word, though, Olam, without L attached, is, however, used in several places, including all through the promise to Abraham that we studied last episode. Do you remember I pointed it out? I said that God told Abraham that this would be an everlasting covenant, that everlasting olam uh, to God's people. And Canaan was an everlasting possession. That's also olam for Abraham's people. Both mentions of everlasting here, the word olam was used. I didn't have a clue (laughs) until I looked at it uh, in getting ready for this episode. But today brings us to Genesis 21. If you are doing a yearly Bible reading plan, you're way ahead of this, I'm sure. Uh, Mine, I told you I started back in December, so I don't have a clue where anyone that started at a normal time is hopefully we'll catch up to the plan every once in a while and you'll be able to read kind of as we dig in. I hope that would help. This small portion today of Abraham's story, Genesis 21 verses 22 to 34. I'm not going to go verse by verse, but it's when Abimelech came to make a treaty with Abraham. Verse 22, I will read this. Uh, What I'm going to read today is uh, ESV, unless I say different. It's just 
what I went to when I started studying this one. It says this, Abimelech and the commander of his army come to Abraham and say, this is their quote, God is with you in all that you do. Please promise me that you won't deal falsely with me or my descendants. I have been kind to you. You should be kind to me as you are a stranger in this land. Abimelech coming to Abraham. I'll give you some backstory. Was it as much about Abraham, his fear, I guess, of Abraham, as it was about Abraham's God? You heard that? He said, God is with you in everything you do. Abimelech had seen God's power when God closed up the wombs of all the women in his house. Basically, uh, Abraham and Sarah come to the land, and Abraham tells Abimelech, this is my sister. Sarah says, this is my brother. That's what Abraham told her to do. The reason they did this is because he thought, these people don't fear God. They, you know, are, he just thought it would be worse for them to, to not, to say that that was his wife. But, and he wasn't all, he wasn't fully lying. Sarah was his half sister. I know it's weird, but uh, you got to think there probably weren't a whole lot of people around then. I don't know, and it was good to them to marry somewhere in their family line. Like, even Isaac, when he goes, he goes to his mother's brother's land, home, right, Laban, to find a wife. So that's kind of just what they did. So he tell, they tell Abimelech, this is my sister, this is my brother. And so Abimelech, it says that Sarah was very nice to look at, Abimelech takes her in to his home. That was in Genesis 20, if you want to read it closer. But God came to Abimelech in a dream with a word of warning. God even told him, and I'll pause to say, keep in mind, Abimelech didn't serve our God, okay? Uh, So God comes to him in a dream and tells him that he, he meaning God, God had kept Abimelech from sinning with Sarah, And uh, God gave him direct instructions on how to fix this problem. So he basically was like, you know, if you don't get it right, I will kill you. But he tells him like, um, but if you do, if you get it right here, this is what we'll do. You know, so Abimelech goes and talks to Abraham. He's like, what have you done to me? And Abraham starts giving his reasoning. But it's like um, Abimelech. He just didn't understand. So really, he wasn't fearful of Abraham to make this treaty, but he was fearful of the God of Abraham. So once Ab- once Abimelech got it right, God opened up the wombs of all the women in his house. It said not only like his wives, but also even his maidservants, any woman in that house the womb was shut up because of this thing that they had sinned against God by taking Sarah in. So, of course, he wanted to be on God's good side. Uh, Then, of course, that's why he makes a treaty with Abraham. This treaty meant that there would be peace between Abraham's people and Abimelech's people. The treaty included a well that Abraham had previously dug It had been stopped up by the Philistines, and so it also included it being unstopped. And here, to to fix the treaty, to agree, you know, as part of it, Abraham gave Abimelech sheep and oxen, but then he set apart seven more lambs, and that was to lay claim on that well. This was huge, uh, to lay claim on this specific well, because a well was a big deal to have in that time, in that area, 
This was the desert, right? The Negev Desert. Water was essential for survival in certain areas. The place of this well was named Beersheba, which even to this day, it's neat, is the region's largest city in that area. It was like, I think I read today, 200 and something thousand people populated, but it's present day southern Israel. This was Philistine territory. Beersheba has two meanings that are accepted. The first is well of seven, and that is in honor of Abraham giving the seven ewe lambs for the trade um, to, to lay claim on this well. And the second one is well of the oath, and that is what Isaac later names this well. And we'll talk about that, but here we are. There's a treaty, a promise of peace. Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. This tree would be a permanent, visible reminder of the covenant between the two men. Every time someone saw that tree, because it was in the well and the tree, every time someone would see it, they would know, okay, that was their treaty. That was where they made this promise. So Abraham puts down roots, right, so to speak, um, next to the well, and there he called the name of the Lord the everlasting God, or El Olam. He called upon El Olam as a display of his faith that our everlasting God would deliver on his covenant promise. You see, Abraham had just been reminded by Abimelech that he was a stranger in this land. Yet one day, it would be his and his descendants. So Abraham reminds God of the covenant by using a word God had previously used in his promise. Olam, everlasting, where I referenced it earlier. Abraham acknowledges that our God is the everlasting God who has the ability to make everlasting promises. Nothing can sway him. Nothing can turn him. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is everlasting. And he would prove himself in this way to each of these men in this place. Places matter, don't they? Later, during famine, Isaac would return to Beersheba and redig his father's wells. So there was famine somewhere else where um, Isaac was living, and because of that, he came back to this old familiar place. The treaty that was made between Abimelech and Abraham was no longer standing. The Philistines had stopped up all the wells that had been passed down to Isaac in the land. Isaac comes to the realization that there are some things that can't be simply passed down. Some things you have to work for and obtain for yourself. He also reestablished the treaty with Abimelech. This is Genesis 26. Something neat to me is that when Isaac restores an old thing, when he restores this well, his servants immediately find a new spring. How many of us want God to do a new thing? I know I do. But it's only when old promises, old covenants are repaired and renewed that this greatly desired new thing can happen. Isaac's story is great proof. The new thing happened only one verse later for Isaac. If you are hungry for God to do a new thing in you, take a look back. Check and see if you've gone back on any promises. Check and see if you've let down on any old ways. Repair the old things first. 
then a new thing will spring forward. I didn't have this in my notes, but I thought I would share it. At the, I guess, middle to end of last year, we, we, my family, right? (laughs) We were called to go and have revival at the church that I got into church at in Beaumont, the Apostolic Church, uh, pastored by Brother Jason Carr. Uh, Him and his family are incredible, great church, great people. And uh, my dad currently goes there, and I'm so happy um, that they are leading this church. When we went to the prayer room, I went and I knelt down, and it was the same prayer room that I always had prayed in before services for years, I think about five years. I was trying to pray, and I'm like dealing with the kids, and I like look up, and uh, I just, you know, it was brought to my mind all the things that God had done. All the promises that God had made to me. All the promises that I had made to God in in that very room. And probably at one point or another, probably even in the same chair that I was kneeling in. And as I thought on those things, God just spoke to me and He just said, because that's the place I was built. You know, that's the place that my foundation was laid and so many life-changing moments happened in that very beginning of walking with God because it is so many changes. I left so many things behind. I laid so many things down in that prayer room. I learned how to pray in that prayer room. All these things, all these commitments. And God just said, I know that you did, but do you still I know that you did, but do you still? God was essentially saying to me, I know that you made those promises. Would you still? I know that you laid those things down. Are they in your hands or would you still lay them down? I know that you confess that love to me, but do you still feel that way? I know that you told me that you would do anything to live this life. You would do anything to serve me. But do you still mean that? And so it was a time of looking back, like I'm talking about, and examining myself and saying, okay, God, before I can move forward, and I feel like I've done a lot of moving forward lately, God has been trying to grow me and change me and mold me into something new. But I think God was just saying, before you go forward, before you do this new thing, look back and repair if there's anything that's been lost. And of course, I sat there. I said, God, I would. I would still. I would over and over every one of those promises. And But I began to examine my heart and say, are there things that I gave up then that I've picked back up since? And you know, there were. There were some things. Maybe they were simple to some, but big to God because it was something that I had given to Him that I had picked back up. Since that moment, actually in that moment, I said, okay, God, once and for all, I repaired the breaches and stopped the wells. You can flow freely. And from that moment, He has been doing a new thing in me. Our everlasting God, El Olam, knows the end from the beginning and everything in between. Everything that we see in the natural is only temporary and is subject to change. But just like Abraham, we don't have to be moved by what we see or what we hear. Since we know this truth, El Olam, our God, is the eternal God who created the universe. 
he will not fail to accomplish his plans and his promises as long as we do our part. That's where Isaac's story comes in, of us doing our part. You know, uh, since we're covering two today, I, I should say that you'd think Abraham learned enough by now. He's finally uh, having faith in God's promises. He's received his promised son and is believing for great future for his descendants. That's where he's reminding God, you are the everlasting God. And I remember your everlasting covenant and the everlasting possession that you promised my people. So he finally has that faith. He's been through a lot, a roller coaster of failure and redemptions. But God looked and decided that he wanted more for him. I feel like this is my current season. Every time that I think I have something figured out, I feel like God looks and decides he wants more from me which I'm thankful, right? We all truly want to grow in God and be more and do more. So God tests us. Our true selves are revealed in our trying, our time of fire. Genesis 22 and 1, consider that we just finished chapter 21 and it finished with Abraham calling out and saying, you are the everlasting God and all that stuff. This is very first, the very first verse of chapter 22. This is the ESV. After these things, so after Abraham says, You are the everlasting God, and I believe you now. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. So after Abraham makes this great display of faith in God's promise and shows that he's actually learned something in the past, what, over 30 years, God decides he still needs to test him. And I won't dig super deep in this story. There is so much here, but the focus today is on the name that will come as a result of this testing and this trying. I do love Abraham's response when God calls his name. Let that be our response every single time. Here I am. God tells him, take your son, your only son, the one you love. Literally, he says all that. He lines it out and lays it all out there saying that he knows how special Isaac is to Abraham. God knows exactly what he's about to ask of Abraham. And you know, there are so many parallels in the story of Isaac, in the story of Jesus. I don't really have time to get into them, but it's really neat, some of the parallels. But anyways, God says, take him to Moriah. Offer him as a burnt offering on a mountain. I'll lead you to the exact mountain as you get closer. Abraham has to be wondering, what is going on? Yet he still listens. God had proven to be trustworthy. The next day he gets up, loads everything they need, uh, and also brought along two young men as helpers, and of course, brings Isaac. Abraham follows God's instructions. Then it says on the third day, God showed him the place. He had walked three days all the while wondering if this was the last of his time with his cherished son. What even was going through his mind? He had no one to talk it out with. How hard was that? 
God was doing a little too good at testing him. But remember, I said, the true you comes out in a test. The good, the bad, the ugly. When they reached the mountain, Abraham tells the two young men that he and Isaac would go up to worship God and would both come back. So just Isaac and Abraham went up to the mountain. Abraham had Isaac carry the wood. The only things they brought up to this mountain was wood, fire, and a knife. All things required for a sacrifice to the Lord. So Isaac is a little confused and he asks where the lamb is. Abraham replies, which also I should say um, another clue to Isaac that they were going to sacrifice is because Abraham said that they were going up to worship the Lord. A form of worship is sacrifice. Today we don't bring burnt offerings, but we can sacrifice things to God and sacrifice is not sin. Sacrifice is something that, that is, is good, is, is right, is fine. But it's something that we offer up to God. So Isaac is confused and he asks where the lamb is. Abraham replies, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That makes you wonder if Abraham maybe knew what God was planning. I can tell you he didn't exactly know. But he had learned that God was a promise keeper. If he'd learned anything by this point, he had learned that fact. And God had promised that Isaac would be the promised child. The one that nations and kings would be born from. And that all of the promises that God had given to him thus far hinged upon. Hebrews chapter 11 actually gives us great insight. This is verse 17 through 19. I'll read it quickly. By faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, that's Abraham, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, this is Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Which, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham was uncertain of the details, but in his heart, he just believed God. He knew that God was good. He knew that God had been faithful to him. He knew that he could trust him. In his trusting, he passed the test and was able to see a side of God that he would have not had the chance to see otherwise. Every new trial allows us that same opportunity to see God in a new light to know him more. So they get to this place of sacrifice and Abraham prepares the altar. He binds up Isaac and lays him on the altar, takes the knife in his hand and is about to sacrifice his son. I just like to note that there's no dialogue here between Isaac and Abraham. I'm not sure if that shows us Isaac's great trust in his dad or his absolute terror. If it was me, I'd have been leaning on the side of terror. (laughs) But I know that This wasn't an easy thing for Abraham to even consider, but he had already learned the lesson that doing it his way would never work, that God knows all and knows what's best and always has our best interests in mind. So Abraham begins to go forward with the sacrifice and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lap. 
glad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know, now I know, that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Talk about a sigh of relief. (laughs) Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorn by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh literally means the Lord will see to it. There's only one place this name is used in the Bible, but there are so many examples of God showing up in the same way at the very perfect moment right on time. In that book I told you about um, Praying the Names of God by Ann Spangler. I read this and it stuck out to me. The root words that make up the word provision broken up mean to see beforehand. God sees the need before it even arises. So he's able to plan a remedy before you even know that you need it. That ram for Abraham It didn't just appear in a moment, but God knew. He knew the need. He knew the exact place and the exact moment that the ram had to show up to spare Isaac's life. The lifespan of a ram, I looked it up, is 10 to 12 years. And there's also no telling how long that thicket had been growing in that exact place for the purpose of catching the ram by the horns. What an incredible God we get the privilege to live for. He is a God of details, and I'm truly just blown away at His love for us over and over. If you have a need today, be encouraged. Provision to see beforehand. Let that sink into your spirit. It's a truth about our God, one that's everlasting, like Abraham called Him. Any need, any situation, it doesn't matter how big, it doesn't matter how insignificant, it doesn't matter if it's a need that only you and God are aware of or if it's something that the whole world can see. Our God is the very best at providing for his children. If you need uh, specific examples for mine and Taylor's life, episode 12 a while back is full of God's provision for not only needs, but even simple desires of our hearts. You may have been fed the lie that God doesn't care about you or that he shouldn't be bothered with the small things, but he truly cares. He sees every need and he delights in providing for you. Verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and has not withheld thy son, thine only son. So I'll stop and say all that. So because Abraham passed the test, verse 17, that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies." And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed 
my voice. Once again, we see Abraham's promise was multiplied. He had already received word after word of promise from God concerning his future, but all along, God had a plan for even more. What God had to know is if he could trust Abraham with so much. Luke 16 and 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. This applies to all of us, though we see it played out for Abraham. We've seen such a great span of his story. Think back. Could it be that this part of the promise was something that God already wanted to give him, but couldn't? When Abraham chose his way and his plans over God's, God saw that he couldn't be trusted. That specific trial, waiting, showed God what was really in his spirit. So Abraham was made to grow and to wait even longer, then was told to give up the very thing he had waited so long for. The test wasn't exactly about Isaac, but the moral of the test for him and for us is that God needs to know. God said, now I know And he just needs to know that we hold nothing back from him. That's how you see God as a provider in your world. Hold nothing back from him. You know, we hear this verse uh, often with finances, but it applies to this concept. It's Luke 6, 38. I'll read it in the ESV. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. As much as you offer up to God is as <laughs> I guess as much as He can pour back on you and give back to you in a different way. Today, I hope you find yourself examining yourself and looking and seeing what, for one, what can you pre- repair that's been old, maybe uh, wells that have been stopped up, promises that have been broken, those kind of things. What can you repair that you can see a new thing? But also, search yourself, search your life. What can you give God to show Him, God, I hold nothing back from you. Nothing's off limits for you, God. When you have that heart, when your spirit is that, that God, there is nothing that you cannot touch. There is nothing that I will not give you. He shows up as Jehovah Jireh in your world that provider. I hope you can just soak up these stories and the lessons that are just packed full in them and um, be blessed. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.